This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I am Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And today we're going to talk about uh, the future, but kind of the present, and then kind of the stuff that happens between the present and the future, which we don't really have a good English term That's, for that. Yeah, yeah, we do, Stephen. That's called the future. Well, the, there's like the future, the future. There's like the Isaac Asimovian future, and then there's like the like next week, and then there's like now, and then the Isaac Asimovian future, like next week, is also now, right? Like you just hand waves like several thousand years of history at the beginning of Caves of Steel. Like, wait, yeah. there's like three thousand years that have happened, and you just put right. that in a sentence, like. Wait a minute. Yes, a thousand years ago, this thing happened. It's old history. Homie, homie, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta explain the thing that happened before it can be history and the background to the story. Nah, you just say a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, everything was way more advanced and you're good. Yeah, you know, that's the way it goes. But anyway, <laughs> what we're actually going to talk about is the, the wrap up to this whole season, which is, okay, you talked about the future a lot and how you get there and what it looks like, but we live here now. And what do we do with that? What do we do about getting to the future? And to some extent, we, we touched on these things. To some extent, we touched on the far future by hand-waving the present. We just kind of <laughs> hand-waved over the climate change thing in uh, our Moral Imagination series, which was... Wait, you're saying we're like Isaac Asimov. I'm doing that. I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that we didn't do a thing that we did. We did that. <laughs> We had a little bit more justification, but honestly, not really. So that's how dreaming works. Yeah, it is. That's exactly right. That's that was the justification. Like we're allowed to do this. Like you can. Uh, <laughs> you can't but, stop me. Well, <laughs> there's an article on the internet about the internet, and we're interested in it. So Alan Jacobs points it out to us as he does, and it's essentially about how, in the mind of this particular author. Uh, whose name I would mangle if I tried to pronounce it because it's sufficiently... Bjarnason. It's my best guess. Chris can take the hit on that one. Email me, not Steve. That's right. Suggests that the current state of the web, as viewed from particular vantage points in the year 2019, is not sustainable. In fact, Chris, what is the exact wording of the title that he wrote and then later disavows? The web falls apart. The web falls apart. Saucy. Hot take, even. He then has a subtitle, a, a subhead in the piece called The Web Isn't Dying. And Stephen described this piece as a very nuanced take. And I think that's right in a very specific way. The, the web is collapsing. The web is falling apart. Nuance may be needed. What do you actually mean by the web? What do you actually mean by falling apart? Falling apart. And how do these things fit into the conversation that we've been having? The early takeaway, so that you would know what grounding we're on here before we argue against it, is that he argues that falling apart and dying are not the same thing, and that there is essentially one giant web that was the World Wide Web that was built in the late 80s and early 90s and released onto the world, and that it no longer has the ability to stay afloat as the World Wide Web. As one thing. One interconnected entity. One place, if you want to say it in those terms, as they did in the 80s often. Several reasons that he points out that this is falling apart. One is primacy. People don't really think about the web. They think about what's on the web. Privacy. People are not even able 
to have a, a modicum of expectation of privacy on the web due to various aspects of how we've built the web and politics. The web is being able to be used against itself by dictators and uh, China and other sorts of organizations that are abusing the open aspects of the web. And so he argues that these things are essentially critical aspects of the internet, but that the nature of the internet uh, and its potential decline is not the same as empires declining or falling apart. He gives a long quote to show that that's not the case. And so he says it's basically just getting different. It's going to be changed in some way, perhaps bad, perhaps even good. But he he thinks that the current state of things is unsustainable. One of the things that's interesting here is the way that this mirrors many of the kinds of claims being advanced by fans of all sorts of varieties of post-liberalism, both left and right and attempts at neither. The idea that society in general around us is in some some sense in a state of collapse. And on the web, this tends to point at ways in which open web principles and some of the open source ideas that tend to be closely linked to them, though notably are not inextricable from them, are failing and falling in some ways, the ways that some of the major platforms on the web are struggling to deal with these changes, with resurgent kinds of nationalism, etc. In the ways that people look at our broader societal context, they're looking at things which, as serious as many of those things I just listed are and can be, are yet more serious. Massive increases in meth and opiate addiction, increases in suicide rates, and decreases in life expectancy associated with both of those phenomena. The epidemic of loneliness that has been diagnosed, the general increase in depression and sense of isolation, and so on. Some really significant things. The increasing polarization of our parties returning to levels that they have been in the past, which is a thing we often forget, but that they haven't been for a while. I would... I, my historical understanding of the United States, I would guess the 1830s, but there's no Possibly, real way to measure depending on this. how you frame it. Yeah. yeah. The resurgence of explicitly fascist parties and explicitly ethnocentric parties and the general trend toward a perceived and at times actual social dysfunction, people being much more likely to punch each other, beat each other, attack each other. Etc. Perceived. And yes, perceived here, we've referred in the past to, oh, hey, the 1970s were crazy, much crazier than we have right now. So all of these things have to be framed through that angle. And I would add to this a note that I'll let you to simply read the last couple of weeks of my newsletter to, to hit the, the details a bit more. But I add to both of these kinds of things a general skepticism toward progress and decline narratives in the sense not that progress and decline don't happen, but that they happen to be more temporally and geographically local than many of our public proclaimers of progress progress or decline might have you think, and that they also tend to be much harder to diagnose in the moment than, again, our public sayers of progress or decline would have you say, because things that at a given moment may appear progressive may later appear regressive, not only in the sense that some progressives would say that, oh, we've moved past that, but also in the sense that things that appeared to be unalloyed goods 20 or 30 years ago in the context of the internet, we now recognize are actually 
not unalloyed goods, only yeah. appeared to be so because of the very specific environments in which they existed at that time, and when generalized to another environment, end up being very significant ills. So right. all of those qualifications being put on the table, as it were, I still think there's something to the sense of decline that Bjarnason gets at here, that my friend Jake gets at in his book, which we'll hopefully be talking to him about on the Between Seasons episode that we're still planning to record here, yep. that yep. many people see looking at the state of America or perhaps more generally Western countries. There are real kinds of decline happening. They may not be decline in certain absolute terms, but people feel the decline. And in some sense, that means that some kind of decline is real and is happening here, even if it may not be the end of the world as some I don't, people... I don't think that's necessarily even true, because we have Twitter bots that make things seem true, and like there's literally not even anybody making that idea. Twitter bots yes, but... picked it up out of the air and made it a thing. And so... I think that even amongst things that perceive to be big ideas, because of the the space that we've entered where technology has overtaken this sort of sense of scale, we've talked about this over and over, we can't even perceive what is or isn't actually trending. Like, that's the whole problem with Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> sure. Is that no, what we don't even understand what is a trend and what is just a random data point that has been ramped up a million times or a billion times by Facebook or Twitter's algorithms. Right. Opiate addiction doesn't quite fit that model, though. Like That's true. That's true. But, uh, you know, the sense of, of polarization, it, that is not real. Like, people are, are significantly less different than people think they are. We've right. done surveys on this that when people are actually asked what their views are, they're like, did you know you're a centrist? And they're like, no. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm a liberal. Like, sorry, man. Like, that's not what your views say. Like, you just. No, I'm a conservative. Actually, you two agree with everything other than you, the fact you're that like you've labeled 70... yourselves conservative and liberal. So I think, yes, there are things like the opiate addiction crisis that are real. There are many people who are attempting to not just publicize these things, but correct them. So my brother is a aspiring doctor. He's about to go on his residency. Good luck, John. And he does public health stuff. And he's interested in lifestyle medicines. And so he and I have been talking a lot about the, the heroin and opiate addiction problem, mm -hmm. because that's a critical issue that's rel relative to his career. And Boy, howdy, those pharmaceuticals are getting the pantsuit off them right now, and they are losing <laughs> badly. Um, and so, you know, there are there are some bad things that are happening, and then there are some ways that people are attempting to redress that. That's good. <laughs> right. You know? Um, so to the extent that it is about what we perceive, which some people would say that that's literally all there is, and some people would say that that's literally the least important thing. Um, depending on your philosophical point of view, to the extent that it's relative to what we perceive, there is definitely a decline. People perceive a decline. But I think this is partially because people are trapped in filter bubbles and they are fed certain types of, of content from various social media platforms that even the platform doesn't understand. And I think that we, well, I don't think, we know that people are influenced by specifically target campaigns and things like this. 
I'm not I'm not disavowing that there are real declines happening. There are governments that are terrible now that were not 10 years ago and the social media is largely to blame. The Philippines is one case where uh, you can largely blame social media for the decline of their uh, political situation. Facebook has said, well, I don't know if Facebook has said, but it is known that Facebook has used them as a Petri dish for various types of platform operations. And Philippines have like 100% uptake in like social media, stuff like that. So there are real things that social media has done and there are perceived things that social media has done. And I think this relates back to the article because there are real things that have happened to the internet. And there are perceived things that are happening to the internet. And the ways that we are situated, perhaps the fact that this person is a hardcore open source person, writes a newsletter about open source, there is a perceived decline in the ability of open source to do open source things. Like the web itself used to be an open source project. It was open source. That was it. It was the whole thing. Um, and so there is a, a real decline in the ability of the open source community to do the web. So that's real. There's also a perceived decline from his other points. You know, blaming the open web for ad domination is seems a little short-sighted seeing as the giant web money makers are social media platforms and platforms on top of the web and not like the web itself. Like there's no open source community that's a raking in the cash being like, woo, <laughs> yeah, ad money. That's not real. So I, I think that insofar as the open web has the, any fault for not stopping that, that can be attributed to them. But at the same time, like part of the problem is that like the web is so useful and open that anybody can use it for anything. Like that's the problem. Like the fact that dictators use it to rule their countries is very bad. But the fact that like people use it to also uh, help widows and orphans in Africa with the GoFundMe, right. not, uh, not GoFundMe, but uh, with various actually, various different crowdfunding apps is also good. So I think that it has to do a lot with what your stance and perception is, like where do you sit and how do you perceive and how we all perceive those real things happening is strongly related to what you see uh, and what you, you know, internalize as an outcome. Because like for me, I see plenty of things. I see more than most people because it's my job to study social media. Um, and I actually see a lot more good things happening than bad things happening. Now, if you roll this back three years, I you can go find me saying that like literally nothing good is happening because like three years ago, pretty much nothing was, but everybody was still happy with social media, even though I was like, guys, no. <laughs> and Chris was like, no, don't do that either. Like, you know, we were worried three years ago and nobody, not nobody, but fewer people were Jared Lanier. Don't come punch me. You've been worried a long time. <laughs> but so I, I think that there's these, these tensions, not just of what really happened because there's real things happening and Insofar as social media then becomes things like a dictator or a great firewall or things like this, that's real too. But I think it's a challenging front that he has put forward to say that the web itself is falling apart because it can't deal with dictators and ads. So the reason I've been super quiet is that I'm not sure this is the episode. <laughs> not because I dislike any of what you just said, but... I'm I'm listening to what we've done so far and kind of playing it back in my head. And it's not like the season ender episode. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm just not ready for the season to end. <laughs> <laughs> like we just, we haven't, I don't know. Like 
I've, yeah, I mean, and this is a new thing, right? Like, this is a thing that we're interested in, and like this article in specific, but also like I feel like there's more to this topic. I feel like there's, I don't know. I think the idea that we can just wrap up and say, like, this is how you get to the positive future at this particular point mm-hmm. is we're not done with that yet. Yeah. Now, we might be at the end of the season. Um, I'm still in podcasting voice mode right now. <laughs> I'm still recording this. Yes, as am I. As I have am I. <laughs> a few more minutes. Um, but <laughs> no, I feel I'm, like- I'm just thinking out loud. I want... I want to take a step back, and I think I'm fine with actually leaving everything we just said in there. So I, I want to take a step back. Listeners, there's a little meta podcasting that you just got to hear. Yeah. Because I've, I was feeling the same thing. We had scheduled for today to be 7.13, final episode of the season, in part because we know what the next few weeks look like. And, oh, man. Yeah. There's, there's a lot coming well, down and, the line. And, travel and partially and whatnot, because, but. yeah, the travel. And partially because this was the end of what we'd planned. Right. We've planned. We've we've hit our plan for the season. Right, large with one plus or minus one episode. But I'm also feeling the same. I was thinking about this before we started recording a couple hours ago, and one of the things I'm feeling is, in a healthy way, a dissatisfaction of where we've gotten so far. Not in that what we've gotten to so far is bad, but that it's incomplete. And of course, any such project is always necessarily an incomplete. Anyone who's ever written an essay, much less from what I gather, a book, will tell you that it doesn't feel done. Right. But I don't feel ready to wrap this up with a bow. And part of the reason, I think, is that these questions of decline and collapse are, I think, an integral part of what it means to get to that less broken future. We've spent a lot of time trying to think about what the positive interventions are. We've spent a bit of time trying to dream of what that world looks like as we get there. We spent those three episodes doing that. But I also think in some sense, we have to grapple with this sense of collapse. To your point a minute ago, whether that collapse is as real as people feel it is or not, there are real challenges, real kinds of decline, even if they are, to my point in my newsletter and a few minutes ago, more local or or yeah. less large than people think they are. There yeah. are real kinds of decline happening. There are real kinds of progress happening. Right. And not having grappled with those in depth, not having really poked at them and said, what what are the declines that are happening? And why? And how do they relate to each other? And how do they not relate to each other? How big are they actually? And done some of that digging work is, I think, why things feel, at least part of why things feel incomplete. Because as you've noted in in jocular fashion a couple times, we've hand-waved global warming. We've hand-waved some of the particular political unrest that are hitting us. But we can't actually get there without digging in on some of those things and without thinking about how yeah. you avoid real actual collapse. And so... Yeah. Well, and I think part of that is because, one, we've talked a lot. We talked for six seasons about how to avoid collapse. That was like basically the whole thing was like, here are the things that people can do on a small scale and on a massive scale. Um, kickstarting a hyper-local super farm is <laughs> right. still my favorite title. And it's it's a perfect encapsulation of everything that we want right. to do. And so I think that there's some of that, that we've already yep. done a lot of that. This, the other thing is that some of it goes outside the realm of tech. Like, how do you right. deal with 
dictator-led populisms. There are things that you can do. You can shut off Facebook for dictator-led populisms. That'd be great. It's a thing you could do. But the underlying social issues that create nationalist movements are necessarily complex. They're historically long trajectory to a local place, like the the history of dictatorship in Hungary and the history of dictatorship in the Philippines and the history of dictatorship in Brazil are very very different. Very different. Very different. And so there's some level at which we can say like, look, this isn't a dictatorship podcast, nor (laughs) is this a climate change podcast. There are lots of climate change podcasts you can go find, and I'm sure there's probably a dictator podcast somewhere. So at some level, there's there's the bounds of this podcast that we're running up against. This is this is what happens when you do multi-sided sort of big tent things. I had a professor at Auburn when I was doing my master's program. We were talking about rhetoric. That was my degree. And in the end, at the end of the class, we were all talking about we ended up talking about governments right like you can't end up talking about rhetoric without government that's like half of what (laughs) classic rhetoric was how do we govern ourselves so we ended up talking about government and and my professor said this thing that i'll always forget and he said you know what no matter what you're studying in the end it all comes back to political economy no matter what you try to do even if you hate it if you do something long enough you will end up at political economy because it's the basis <laughs> of how we operate. And at the time, I was like, oh, no, we are not going to – I'm going to find the way that this is not true. I study musicians, homie. And six years later, here you are. Yeah, I mean, I wrote an article about how, like, the political economy is bad for musicians. <laughs> like, this is a thing you can go read that I have published. So, uh, so at some level – there is a bound to what technology can do, which itself is a novel thing to say. Crazy talk. It's a novel thing to say. And I know that there's – but there's no bounds to what religion has to say about things. Right. So I think that's the tension that you feel is that we've kind of right. reached what the tech can do here. Like this is it. Dear and- listeners, I'll let you in on a secret. One of the small points Stephen and I sometimes go back and forth on between seasons is where to land the emphasis there. And how much is this a tech podcast informed by the lenses of religion and ethics and art? Right. And how much is this a podcast podcast. about each of those things sort of as equal contributors? And if you've listened over the last half decade, holy cow, Stephen. Half decade. Half a decade. You've no doubt gathered that it's been – heavy on the tech with the other as lenses. Our first season was probably, our beta season, was probably the one where we had the most even distribution of those. And but that was by design. Like, we were right. like, okay, we got to do the religion thing. We haven't done one in a while. Okay, now, now the art <laughs> thing. Now cycle back to the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we found our footing as a tech podcast with these other things as necessary inputs to it. But I th- that is part of the tension for me. It always has been. Stephen can yeah. tell you. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a great I, conversation about this a year ago, scribbling notes outside yeah, a yeah, yeah. delightful coffee shop and brewery. Yeah, and and I am okay with that. I am okay with the bounds. And insofar as, as people say you're not doing enough, right? Like people will – if you're in an activist space, if you're in tangential – to an activist space, you'll see that you're not doing enough canard often. Like, look, why are you doing X? You could be doing more. And activism takes a lot of forms. You'll see this equally, whether you're talking to a bunch of evangelism and missions-focused Southern Baptists, which is my 
my home territory in a lot of ways, yep. or whether you're talking to a bunch of socialists, which is not my home territory in any way. Right. But those dynamics are common. And the, and the the troubles, the temptations here are to look at what you do and be like, this is just a tiny thing. It's not a thing. We could be trying to change the world. Like, look at all these people doing world-changing stuff. I was just listening to the latest uh, edition of Your Undivided Attention, uh, which is the Center for Humane Technologies podcast. They had someone on the show who was a uh, Maria Ressis, I think is her name. May have mispronounced that, sorry. Um, who is a journalist in the Philippines, which is why I mentioned the Philippines earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about the nature of social media presence in the Philippines and how uh, it affects uh, the many things that are going on in that country. And at the end of the podcast, they had this discussion. They were talking about like, does this matter? Do we even get anything done when we do all these things? Right. And they came to the conclusion of like, yeah, we kind of do, but it's just not as big as we want it to be. And like, ta-da! <laughs> like, <laughs> right. That, that is, is. That is it. That's all. That, right. <laughs> and I, and I, don't... I said a couple episodes ago in the midst of some discussion that there is a tendency to think that changing the world is only when you're doing the big things. And that in point of fact – we reject that, and we affirm that what we're doing here is for the couple hundred of you who listen, and perhaps at least as importantly for us as a way of thinking out loud together. That's right. A way of effecting change, a way of tweaking the trajectory just a little bit over here in our corner. So yes to all of that. And, and, my- I, and I will say that I am much more comfortable in that space than Chris is. I have been toiling with great difficulty and hard work on the same music blog for the last 16 years, and I'm not bothered if you don't know what it is or care about it. Like, I just keep doing it because it's, I, I feel intrinsically that the value is there. I, and, and I don't I, think, yeah, I, I'm actually very comfortable with that. It's, that is not the root of the tension for me here. To the contrary, uh, I'm very comfortable with quietly doing our thing here. Steven's giving me some great eyebrow, but it's true. I am quite happy for us to be here with our small audience. There's a reason I've never thought seriously about running Facebook ads to get us more listeners, Steven. Well, that, that's we because could. we, well, that's because we don't agree with the concept of Facebook ads, basically. Right. Um, or any, not, or any ads, not because we wouldn't like more listeners. I mean, right. my, may or my may not is, like more listeners, but we wouldn't do it via Facebook ads. It's a terrible <laughs> right. example. Yes. It's a terrible. <laughs> my, my, it's not a terrible example because part of what it gets at is that there are there are means we could employ if those were the yes. ends either of us were interested in. That's and that's not actually it so much as that as I as I noted a couple minutes ago, I think you're much more comfortable with this being a tech podcast with those other faucets and lenses into it. And I'm always butting up against that because I'm at least equally a theologian. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's literally by training. And that's I'm half a physicist and half theologian. And that's a productive <laughs> tension. I really right. think it is because to me, I am a a technologist. Right. I I you know I think that's an unfortunate thing to have to call yourself in this current <laughs> age. But like, there's not really another good thing to say right. about what I do. And I'm also a Christian. And so my perspective on being a technologist is informed by religion, but I am not a person doing religion in a public, theologically 
productive sort of way. Like I'm not producing blog posts right. and public theology. Whereas I spent a month teaching a Sunday school class on Christology this year. It's That's right. I, on the other hand, have given a talk about social media at my church. So like, <laughs> as a right. professional, they were like, don't you do this thing? And I was like, I do. Let's talk about that. <laughs> right. And so I think part of what, and we don't, we don't actually have to figure out <laughs> on air how to resolve this. Why but it, not? <laughs> it's fun it's to have the, the productive tension. <laughs> that question for me is why some of what we've done feels unresolved, I think. Yeah, and I think that's it's real. difficult for me to look at this article that we're talking about, which I think is interesting. It is an interesting jumping off point or any number of other things that I've mentioned earlier on the episode and that we've talked about a little and not want to dig a bit, not yeah. want to push in, in part because there's the simultaneous reality that in many cases, tech can't get us out of the messes we have made for ourselves, but it was a really important part of getting us into them. And that's why we had last season. I mean, and there's we've talked about a lot of ways that tech can get itself out of its own messes, at least. Like, I can list you six things right now that would make Facebook less bad that would take them approximately 50 lines of code. <laughs> The thing I'm gesturing at is that you can't undo a decade of unrest in the Middle East that was not solely caused by tech. Let's be very clear. Uh, Western yeah, imperialism was, had an enormous amount to do was, with that, kids. I was about to say, almost all of that started before Facebook was even a company. So. But it has been dramatically worsened and exacerbated by tech. And to your point about the Philippines, right. the Philippines were well primed for a lot of historical reasons for some of this badness, I but social media was the spark, as it were, that took a pile of Tinder that was sitting there. It's easy to conceive that something else could have done it, but something else didn't do it. That's right. And we can chalk that up to mere historical contingency, but I don't think that's right. I think it is more right to say that there are particular dynamics about these kinds of parts of the internet that for all the goods they offer also make certain kinds of ills more likely, as we've talked about at yeah. length. So I think this, the split here is that when, we, when people talk about technology, they're talking about a thing. Like they're either talking about all of technology as a thing or they're talking about a specific thing or a specific group of things. And technology is, you know, as we've said, basically reducible to a fork. A fork is a technology. Mm -hmm. And there are things that a fork allowed people to do that people could not do before forks. At some point in time, the fork caused change. And right. to the extent that the fork caused change, we cannot unfork. <laughs> and I'm using the fork specifically because that's also now a metaphor that we use for right. software projects. Like, yep. you can't unfork something once it's been forked. It has been changed. You can roll it back, sort of, if you really, really want to. But the social aspects of the forking have already happened, and you can't right. go back. And, and there are like, lasting legacies you to can't those, whatever else happens. Yeah, yeah. You can, yes. you can decide this was a bad branch and, like, cancel it or whatever and roll it back. But then you've got all these people that were like, it wasn't a bad branch and whatever. Um, and so you can't unfork things. You can't uninternet the world. You can't uninternet the world. You can't unfork the world. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And one thing I appreciate Ben Thompson, though I sometimes think he's not even sometimes, I regularly think that he's too sympathetic to the concerns of business as such. That's his stance. Why I've not? been grateful to see him taking a, a turn in certain ways over the last month, but he's 
absolutely right when he says that you can't put this genie back in the bottle. Yeah, you can you can turn off bits of it. You can turn off right. Facebook. You can dial knobs but on But you it. can't you can't undo what has been done. Now, right. Our our discussion all season has been about this idea of not merely technology but technocracy. Right. And part of the challenge here is that we're centuries into technocracy. And that's why we did our exercise of trying to imagine right. centuries out. Right. But when we think about some of these dynamics, it's not just technocracy either. Technocracy is an integral element of it because it is the lie that makes us think that we can just invent another piece of tech or design another solution right. to walk ourselves out of whatever problem we find right. ourselves in. But it's not the only problem. And I, yeah. as, as much as I'm glad that we've spent this season digging into this and it will continue to be an integral element to what we're doing going forward, just you wait, listeners. Just you wait. Just you wait. This is not the end. And this is part of that productive tension of me wanting to bring the religion question more to the fore. Sure. Technocracy is inextricably one of the elements in play here. Yeah. But it's not the only one. It is and certainly not. that is undoubtedly at some of my dissatisfaction of wanting to dig in and get at the roots of this. But as, yeah. as it turns out, we're going to keep chasing these things. We're going to keep pushing on some of these ideas. This may, in fact, be the last episode in season seven. I think it will be because this is this is the conclusion of the matter. Like you know, if we're at Ecclesiastes here, like the conclusion of the matter is this: love the Lord and do your work. Like, and and that's really what we're at. Is that like one of the conclusions is the the answer to this is spiritual and it's beyond tech, right? And the other is keep working. Like, keep working at doing the things. And so, Chris is dissatisfied because he would like to be like, and then all of you should go over here <laughs> and start being this. You should be Christians. <laughs> like, this Confirm. is how— If you would like to talk is, to either of us about that, please yeah, email us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that is at a fundamental core level when you dig all the way down mm -hmm. past political economy— I'm reading John Locke right now, and that's <laughs> like literally he's going past political economy to right. the Bible. There are fundamental root causes of life, of social and, interaction yeah. that tech cannot touch. Right. That tech is symptomatic of rather than being able to fundamentally change right. itself. It can, yes. And that fundamental hubris is the root of technocracy. When And this is why people like – Ari Wallach do what they do and why, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, without this grounding still feel that tension. Like right. there's something past it. Like the tech is not the tech. And so there's this permanent tension. And I, again, I'm more comfortable living in this tension and living in this space because this is my career. My career is to sit here and think about these things and push in the ways I can push. And I don't have the benefit of Chris of actually pushing code. <laughs> I only sit in the tension and write about it and research it. And, and so there's ways that I have already gone past where Chris is to be like, yep, that's the thing. It's what we do here. We don't do this the is ultimate your whole, thing. Your whole progress and idealism thing from the beginning of the season, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because it's the, the counter to that is I would not necessarily agree with the assessment of your being past or beyond the thing. I would say we just end in we sit in different relations to this thing. That's fair. And as you said, it is a productive tension between those relations. And yeah. I think it is important for you to be able to sit there and 
be okay with where things stand mm. in the way that you are. Yeah. And for and I think it's important for you to not feel satisfied. I think that's right. important given the context in that you live and the ways that your work exactly. operates. This is the rare moment where the distinctions between where Chris's ideas on winning slowly stop and mine begin is really evident. There, because we, you know, dear readers, here's a look behind the curtain. When Chris and I agree on an episode, we're like, yeah, we probably talked about that too much and convinced each other a little too much already. Because yep. I've already given some, he's already given some. But when we haven't really planned the episode, but the topic, hello, this season, then we have these conversations. For for instance, the only way I knew this was going to be the topic of the episode was that I read Chris's newsletter where he says that this might be the topic. <laughs> So I knew we were going to talk about it. But anyway, the point is here is that we really are two different people that have two different lenses. And it goes back to the thing I said at the beginning about perceiving. We perceive this specific thing, even this specific thing of winning slowly in different ways, which is great. That's how it comes together and becomes the thing that is ultimately going forward winning slowly. But this is not to say that I'm not sympathetic to Chris's concerns. I would also – vice versa. Yeah. I would also very much – like to see more people have the Christian ethic and follow the Lord. That's part of what this podcast is about. Like, if you started doing all of the things that we recommend in this podcast, you would not do it very long without being like, but why? And that's that's what would happen. Um, and so, I'm very sympathetic to that. And Chris also... I mean, Chris works in Silicon Valley, essentially. Right. Like, you right. know, he has to have... I spent have... all of last week in Silicon Valley yeah. and San Francisco. So he has to have some amount of settled tension right. that that I don't have. Like, I've literally right. never been to San Francisco. Um, so, uh, literally and metaphorically. But... Um, <laughs> I've literally, literally never been to San Francisco, and I've also literally, metaphorically, never been to San Francisco. Hey, metaphorically going or to metaphorically, San Francisco. Metaphorically, literally. Yeah, yeah, meta- yeah. yeah. Mm. But the point here is that this is this is the end of the season. This is how it looks from two people trying to work out what it would be like for the future to happen. Is ultimately you come to a point where it's like, well, but I don't think the same thing about what that future should look like. And that's good. Yes. Like, we're not looking for a monolithic super future. To um, the contrary. Very much to the contrary. Yeah. As you hopefully have gathered from the past five years of listening to us, some of you. It's, I think it's actually six. I think it was 2014 that we started rolling. Yeah, you're right. Six years. All that to say... You may have listened to this and been like, they are whack, and that's fine. <laughs> These two guys have no idea what's going on. Correct. Right. We did tell you that at the beginning right, of the season right. this time. Right. Or you may think that Chris is like totally on it, and Stephen is like, <laughs> what is that guy? Or obviously. vice versa. Vice versa. And <laughs> To someone and, else out there also, obviously. Obvi. Obvi. Basically, anybody who says obviously is on Chris's side, and anyone who says obvi is on my side. But dear listeners, we appreciate you, and we appreciate you listening to this experimental season we're going to be back in a few weeks with an interseason episode that's much more like what you expect from winning slowly and <laughs> less meta podcasting and arguing with each other. You can argue with somebody else instead. But indeed, we have really enjoyed this year. It's been, as all years and all seasons are, a bit weird. And guess what? Our current tentative plans for season eight are to do something we've never done before again. Because why not? <laughs> A, a sneak preview, if you like book clubs, you're going to love gonna like next year. <laughs> if you don't, 
You're going to love it anyway because we're great. Because <laughs> we're hilarious. <laughs> we're so fun. Uh, so the music at the beginning of the episode was Emerge by Liam J. Hennessy. We used it with permission. Please don't use it without permission. The music at the end of the episode, some of you may have forgotten. It's by me. Chris it's also, wrote it. It's crazy. We should make a techno remix of it. I Just- still think we ought to do that. And we need to have our listener who's part of a small municipal orchestra play the orchestra version that i haven't written maybe i'll do that over my christmas holiday because yeah, that would be awesome too why not? i've been thinking for a while and i was talking with my wife about this after a recent episode that we should remind everybody that literally every part of the show is creative commons attribution so that's right if you want to cut us into hilarious techno clips yourself that's right you could do that and you can reuse the website stuff because that's on an mit license so yeah if you if you want to have a whole bunch of of techno saying chris is wrong (laughs) you can use that clip that i just said yeah okay i'm I'm hearing it (laughs) now yeah you should also say steven is wrong for just like the (laughs) steven is very wrong there you go there's the drop But you can. You can use anything that you want, and you can you can remix us, and you can transcribe us, and you can quote just us. Just have and to give us credit. Just, just tell, yep, tell us where it was. Also, if you want to reach out to us, especially if you have techno remixed us into <laughs> Chris and Stephen is wrong, <laughs> you should very much email us at hello at winningslowly.org, or you can reach out on Facebook or Twitter at Scaradini at winningslowly. Uh, <laughs> that would be the greatest email. That That really would. I really did it, guys. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who sponsored us this season and ongoing, especially including Nathaniel Blaney, who we still shout out at every episode. What's you up? can continue to sponsor us at patreon.com slash winning slowly or cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. As always, especially we say at the end of a season, thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas. I'm a libertarian dreamer, Stephen. Uh... <laughs> I wish you guys could see the look I just put on Stephen's face. So worth it. So worth it. I say nothing against libertarians, <laughs> but Chris and I were just talking about libertarianism, and so he just punchlined a joke that was off screen. So there you go. Sorry, guys. Uh, we trust the audience will understand. <laughs> that's, that's not even true. Now you're just Let the drawing, reader understand. You're just Let drawing the on stereotypes now. All right. All right. So this is bad. Anyway, I did not expect <laughs> this to be going long on the fork concept and its unintentionals. Oh, man. But it was a useful thing when it was the software thing. But now it's, now it's just a euphemism. And this is the world's worst blooper. Hilariously, we've been in entirely sarcastic fashion saying totes obvi in my house for quite some time as a point uh, of amusement. Well, the longer you, you say it sarcastically, the more likely the chances that someday you just say it unironically. That's never. That's, uh, I'm just saying the people who say it ironically have 100% more chance of eventually saying it unironically than people who don't say it at all. Is that gathered by statistical analysis after a careful poll? Uh, surveys are so outdated, homie. It's all big data from here on out. Turtles all the way down. Chris is wrong. 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 Chris is wrong.
Steven is very wrong. 